Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Julia Dam And I'm Natasha Fett. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food from the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News Team. This week, the gene editing proposal leak and an interview on animal welfare. Well, hello, welcome back to this week's uh, podcast. Hello, hello. It's been an interesting week again, as uh, pretty much always in the past few weeks. Yeah, this has been like a marathon yeah. time and, and and there's still more to like it, it, I mean, there's nowhere near light at the end of the tunnel nope, <laughs> there's plenty of contentious uh, stuff and developments yeah. ahead I feel like I've got my eyes everywhere like just pulling all directions different things going on I mean it means we're never bored I'm, I'm never bored so, mm. yeah. definitely definitely I think I mean it's quite normal to ahead of summer have this kind of final rush. rush yeah but this time it feels like it's extra politicized mm. it's all the issues that are very contentious. There's Plus, a new intensity to it, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. With the elections coming up as well, that kind of put everyone into campaign mode. Chaos mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so this week we're going to talk you through um, one of the most contentious proposals that are on the table. There's a bunch of them actually, to be fair, but one of I would say one of the most contentious mm. proposals, which is on gene editing. So there's been a lot around this proposal, these new genetics. <laughs> I feel like techniques. we should have a sound effect whenever we say gene editing and say dun dun dun. Yeah, it's true. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, there's been, gosh, so many twists and turns in this story. This proposal that was supposed to come a month ago already mm. um, wasn't presented. Lots of politicking around it, lots of uh, for lots of reasons. But this week, and actually, uh, we got our hands on, um, well, there was a draft text that was we didn't get our hands on. It was obtained by um, ARC 2020, which is a food and farming platform. Um, but we saw it, we looked at it. Um, <laughs> and so there was this leaked draft, um, which proved very controversial. Actually, nobody was particularly happy with the proposal, which is... <laughs> pretty much the story every single time there's a kind of a proposal or a leaked proposal I think everyone's obliged to say they're not happy they want to push more in their direction x y and z but it was very interesting this leak um so it basically showed that the European Commission is pushing for certain kinds of gene edited plants to be treated as conventionally produced plants um and so so, so basically well, let's, go, let's go back a little bit so gene editing describes basically these these new scientific methods that are used to alter genomes to genetically engineer certain traits into plants things like drought resistance or pest resistance um and so this leaked draft basically was saying that the current procedure and the risk assessment uh, the requirements of the current GMO directive um, are not adapted to the variety of potential plant products that can be obtained by the, these methods. Um, so basically saying it was inadequate. And so the draft text instead proposes these kind of two future pathways, like potential pathways for gene edited organisms, um, basically categorizes gene edited plants into two different categories that they very innovatively called category one and category two. <laughs> and the ones could that have would just given them cute nicknames. You could have done, couldn't you? I don't really know what that would be, but maybe we could come up with an alternative suggestion <laughs> for the next podcast. <laughs> if anyone has suggestions, uh, let us know. <laughs> um, so category one plants basically would be the ones that are considered able to naturally occur or maybe or via conventional breeding. Um, and those would be treated similarly to conventional plants. And by that, I mean they wouldn't require the authorization, risk assessment, the traceability, the labeling, um, any of these things. And then plants that fall outside of that scope are known as category two 
NGTs. Um, and so they would require like authorization, but they were saying that this needs to be um, an adapted assessment to cater to, to, you know, their specific risk profiles and, you know, any detection issues, things like that. And that includes, for example, all herbicide tolerant plants, which has always been a bone of contention. Um, so that they would all fall under this category two combination. And so the leaked draft says that basically this combination of these, you know, different procedures and different categories um, would ensure to the largest possible extent that NGT plants and their products are safe um, as they're as safe as their conventional counterparts um, without also un- um, entailing unnecessary regulatory burden. So that was the like, I mean, the, the proposal was longer than that. It goes into lots and lots of details, but that was the kind of like key interesting essence to draw from this. Um, of course, there was a whole range of of uh, of um, reactions to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, you had the European plant breeding sector, the representatives Euro Seeds. They were, you know, obviously broadly welcomed the direction of it, but they had some serious doubts of the, over this complexity of this procedure, um, of the process that was proposed by the Commission. Um, they were saying it can risk the um, politicisation of administrative decisions. On the other hand, there was some pushback from the organic sector. Um, they've always had this, you know, the issues over coexistence and basically saying that it would be a mistake to replace any traceability and monitoring and labelling with only kind of minimum transparency requirements. Um, a lot of concerns over coexistence, basically, of mm. the organic sector. With um, Yeah, of course. I mean, this first category that you described, if uh, you basically get rid of traceability requirements for some GMO-treated plants and mm. An organic farmer won't be able to uh, prove that they're not using any anything uh, gene editing related. So yeah, and that's the concern I think for them. You know, also for communicating with their consumers, the trust in the consumer base, things like that. Um, it has become quite a, kind of central question, really, mm. in terms of you know the coexistence of organic and and gene editing, and then of course also the greens. They were very very vocal. Um, they called the proposal deeply worrying. Um, they were basically saying that, you know, well, what I just said, they were basically saying that consumers will have no way of knowing whether or not they were eating this gene edited foods. So they were quite concerned about the consumer side of things. Um, they were concerned about the power imbalance as well in terms of, you know, who has the control on 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 these seeds. Um, so very interesting. It's also very interesting because this proposal was supposed to be uh, presented really in like two weeks time. No, wait, where are we? Um, yeah, yeah, beginning of July. So, you know, this is quite interesting. It would be quite interesting to see any changes as well in mm. the in the draft compared to what comes yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, sometimes leaks are also used to kind of test, test the waters mm. and maybe make some tweaks depending on reactions. So, Gauge uh, the reactions of the, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's definitely a strategy sometimes to, mm. the, to the leaks that find themselves in different places. Um, so, yeah, it would be very interesting. And of course, it would be interesting to see whether it's presented at all. Because mm-hmm. all of this on the backdrop of a lot of a lot of politics going <laughs> on, whether they will they, won't they, whether the commission will present it or not. And I think a lot of that hinges on, um, you know, previously uh, Vice President Franz Timmermans has said that he sees the gene editing proposal as a package deal with the other other green proposals. That's the sustainable use of pesticides regulation, also the nature restoration law. And there's obviously a key vote coming up on the nature restoration law this week that will really, mm. um, you know, shape the future of what this law's going to look like. Um, so potentially depending on what happens there, maybe we will see the presentation of this proposal. Maybe yeah. we won't. It's become a bit of a bargaining chip, this, uh, this proposal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so all, all to be seen. 
This week, we are speaking with Mete Uldal, Vice President of the Federation of Veterinarians of Europe, about the relation between animal welfare and production systems, as well as how education plays a key role in the way we treat and respect animals. First of all, I would like to ask you if you could tell us a little bit in general, what would you say is the state of animal health and welfare in your farms today? Um, so, so that's actually quite a complex question because um, it's very different in local areas, in local regions. It's very diff different on species level. Um, but what is important with that question is to identify within each species, within each type of production system, what are the markers for poor welfare and what are the markers for good welfare and then you know, enforce and, and improve uh, each sector. So it's kind of a non-answer, but it's the right answer to give. <laughs> but do you think animals are treated uh, fairly or poorly in EU farms? Uh, so, so there's definitely, they, we have to address animal welfare because it, the standard of animal welfare should be and can be improved. And this is also why there's so many people across Europe uh, mm -hmm. signing petitions and uh, stating uh, openly and in more private, on a more private basis, that they want to see animal welfare to improve because it's so linked to human welfare. And I think we just underestimate, uh, even though uh, from a standard, uh, if we, if we think it's sufficient. Today, it, we might even benefit all of us if we make it even better. So it's, for me, it's not, there's some, it's not about looking for where it's definitely too poor. It's about having the perspective of always thinking, how can we do it better? Mm -hmm. And how can you do it better as a veterinarian? Uh, what, what is in your hands? Um, so as veterinarians, we have, I would say, three levels. We, uh, we contribute to research uh, to, to be able to, to set um, markers for where we should improve and, and how we can improve uh, at an evidence-based level. Then uh, we uh, work as advisors for the farmers and for pet owners and all animal owners to give them the best education and advice uh, on how to prevent disease and how to prevent welfare problems. Uh, we do that as well as treating disease if it's there, but the most important part is actually preventing uh, mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to ask you about a recent uh, impact assessment that was led by the by uh, Copacogeca. Uh, so they conclude that um, the, the end of cages or banning cages as the commission is uh, leaning towards uh, the commission's proposal will, will uh, drop productivity, especially in peak farming. It will have a, a higher effect. So I wanted to ask you, why, why should we put animal welfare before growth and productivity? Because it's, it's always compared. So I would like to have uh, your opinion on why should animal welfare come first? Well, it's interesting because as humans, we think we have an overlook, particularly if we are working within an industry, then we tend 
then we are experts in that industry. But still we have to recognize that there's still so much we don't know yet. So when we take one parameter saying we want to increase animal welfare, and then if we look one-to-one, if that means a lower number of animals on farms, I would say yes, most likely to what we know now. But what we don't know is how that will affect the market. Because if there's such a a craving from people across Europe uh, for increased animal welfare, we will the market will benefit from going towards that. It's also about socializing to operate. So, so animal welfare has also uh, um, the possibility to improve market conditions. I, I, I think it's uh, what I'm saying is this is such a complex structure. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to dare to be open-minded enough to appreciate that there's more to it than finances. Finances are important and of course it's necessary to talk about who will be footing the bill Um, but locking on one perspective uh, is locking innovation Mm -hmm. and we need innovation in this area. Mm -hmm. And then finally I wanted to ask you uh, to double question why if you are optimistic about the future of uh, animals and the well-being of animals and I would also like to ask you Why do you think animals are treated, um, have been treated poorly? Uh, and if, yeah, if you think that can change, if we can actually, uh, if you think we will actually recognize and start treating animals better? Um, so I'm actually more, uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic about people and people's transformation these years towards recognizing animals as sentient beings. So, um, and that is actually more my optimism than being optimistic about animal welfare, because we still have a lot to do with regards to animal welfare. But it's very wholesome that people start looking at the link between human welfare and animal welfare and don't see it, you know, that we that we realize there's a connection between individuals, sentient beings. Um, and that is... Uh, Yeah, that is why I think we have reason to be optimistic. So why we treat animals the way we do, I think it is it is all about education, isn't it? It's all about knowledge. It's all about getting to know what level of sentience, getting to realize as human beings that intelligence comes in many forms. Now these years we're talking about trees and plants also and 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 At, at the end, we'll have to include all of nature in our considerations. And then we'll start talking about balances and and also compromises, because there will be compromises for us. But, but that's interesting because compromises, you know, if we give its evidence-based knowledge that if humans give, they become happy. So I think we just need to go in another direction. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was brought to you by Euractiv's AgriFood news team. That's Natasha Foot, Paula Andres and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evie Curie. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our brief so you don't miss the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foot. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. <laughs>